All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing us together. I pray this morning you would open up our eyes and our understanding and that we would uh, just stand in awe of thy word and in awe of you, um, that our concept of you would just be um, just broadened because of the truth that we're going to look at this morning. So we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started talking about the gap and we got down to just the basic understanding of the gap and then we got down to the first point of uh, why the gap is, is, is biblical, and then uh, we had a little bit of the Genesis 1. But in order to recap, I want you to talk. So what do you remember from last week? And it was kind of heavy, kind of deep at some points, but what is the gap? What is the gap that we were talking about? And you might as well turn to Genesis chapter 1 because we're going to spend some time there. Go ahead, Brandon. Uh, we're talking about like, the, um, like understanding where things came from, where it all started. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And the big question we asked last week was when did Lucifer fall? Because we know in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we spent some time looking at those two passages, not looking at them directly, but we spent some time talking about them, that Satan has what, or he had what before he fell? He had a throne? What, 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 what? He led music, yep. He led worship, yep. He was very colorful, yes, because of the gems that were in his body, yep. He had a colorful personality. <laughs> Sorry. He had a dominion. Yes, he had dominion. He had a kingdom, and that kingdom was on earth. Uh, and as the anointed cherub to cover the throne of God, then he would go up and he would cover God's throne. And as God's light would shine upon him, it would radiate a great, unbelievable light show because of all the gems that are in his body, and he would lead music as well. And so all these things existed, and then we know, according to Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, that sin was found in him, iniquity was found in him, and then he fell and God cast him out. But see, the thing is, is that in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we don't see him mentioned anywhere, and then you see him show up in chapter 3, and he's already in his fallen state. And so this is where we were talking about the reason why the gap is very sensible and it's very uh, biblical, is because he had to have fallen somewhere. And we looked at a couple different passages in the scriptures. Uh, one in particular was the one in, in uh, uh, Jeremiah 38, where we talked about um, how the earth was without form and void and darkness. And it looks almost exactly the same as what it says in verse 2. Okay. All right. So in a nutshell, we'll just hit verse 1 and verse 2, and I'll explain this, and then we'll pick it up and we'll keep running with it. All right. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. All right, so we ended last week talking about the differences and some of the details here in verse 1 and verse 2, because it says, In the beginning. God doesn't give us a specific time when he created everything. All it says is, In the beginning. Okay, And then you see in verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, just as a quick, quick thing, what we mentioned last week was, in the Bible, there are gaps between verses, between punctuation marks. And what we're saying here is that there is a gap between verse 1 and verse 2 of an unknown, unspecified amount of time that existed in which we believe that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 where Lucifer ruled and reigned upon the earth, God's kingdom at that time, and then he fell into sin, and then his kingdom was absolutely condemned and wiped out and judged, and then God recreated everything again. That's what we're saying. And here's one of the reasons why. If you just look at verse 1 and verse 2, think about this for a second. And we looked at a verse already last week about this. God created the heaven and the earth, and then verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, 
and darkness is upon the face of the deep. Now, if you just stop there for a second, is that in, in, in hand in hand with God's character? Would God create something and he would create it without form and void and full of darkness? No, he wouldn't. And so this should start to cause you to just really start to think about some of these questions. Like, well, then what's going on here? Because in 1 John chapter 1, it says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. And so why would God create a heaven and an earth and create it in such a way that it was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep? It makes absolutely zero sense. And we saw a couple passages last week about how everything that God makes is something that has purpose, um, that he doesn't make it without form. And probably one of the most powerful ones we looked at was in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 23, because the context of Jeremiah 4 is that Israel, they've sinned, and God judged them and wiped them out. And then it has a verse that's almost exactly the same as verse 2. In fact, let's just go ahead and look at that. Go to Jeremiah. Hold your spot in Genesis and look at Jeremiah. And I want you to compare these two. So Jeremiah. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. This alone, to me, just seals the deal. It just seals the deal for me. Outside of Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, this passage in Jeremiah 4 really makes everything make perfect sense. All right, verse 23. Someone read 23. Go ahead, Sam. I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. Sounds familiar. Look back at Genesis verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And I beheld the earth, and lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I mean, it's almost exactly the same. Almost exactly the same. And if you look at the context, you look at verse 19... And it says, my bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sadist children and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void in the heavens and they had no light. So it's almost the exact same thing. So what we're proposing here is that the dominion of the devil fell into sin and God completely wiped it out. And when God wiped it out, then you have this. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Very similar to Jeremiah chapter 4 where Israel fell into sin, judgment was cast out upon them, and he says almost the exact same thing in verse 23. God is a God of patterns. And these are things that let you know for sure what he's actually doing. So we can be very confident that this verse 2 in Genesis chapter 1 was after judgment when there was sin upon the earth and he wiped everything out and now he's remaking everything again. Because that's what he does with the nation of Israel. That's exactly what he does with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, they rose to power, fell into sin. God wiped them out. Wiped them out. And then God promised that he's going to bring them back again. Shocker. I mean, this is what he does. You were born into sin, judged, absolutely deserved condemnation to hell. And yet God gave you the ability to be redeemed and restored. This is what he does in the scriptures. So people that don't believe that this could possibly be true, they just don't know their Bible. 
They just don't know their Bible, and they don't know God's character because God doesn't do stuff like that. All right, so let's move on a little bit here. So I want to look at a couple more things here within uh, this one. I want you to look at this. Now, this is something that as you study the Bible, um, this is something that you might not really notice a whole lot, but I want you to be able to see this because once you see it, you'll see it in other places in the scripture, okay? So here's the first thing, and this kind of goes underneath your Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. We've already talked a little bit about without form and void and darkness. So I want to talk about a few more things. The first thing is the difference between created and made. So created, the word created is not the same thing in the Bible as made. And I just want to show you a few passages that show this. But in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, you see that there? All right, now, if we just move down a little bit and just take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 2. Let's look over to Genesis 2. And look at verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So here, God puts a strict difference between those two terms, which he created and made. Now take a look at verse 4. It says, And these are the generations of the heaven and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. So you can notice that there's a difference there between the two. Look over at chapter 5. Chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. This Verse 1 is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Now, that's interesting. So he created man, but then he made him like God. Now, that's not anything that's a shocker, because if you go back and how God created man, how did he make him? Just think back. You guys know the story. How did God make man? How did he create him? Out of the dust of the ground. So he took the dust of the ground and he made man. But then he did something next. What did he do next? He breathed life into him and he became a living soul. So there's two different things there. God created him, but then he made him. See the difference? It's subtle. People don't notice it, but it's a big difference. Big difference. Big difference. Go over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20. All right, so what we're proposing is Genesis 1, God created the heaven and the earth. And then look at verse 11 of chapter 20. For in six days the Lord, what? Made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So he created in the beginning, but these six days of creation that we talk about out of Genesis chapter 1 from verse 2 on, he made it. He made it. He didn't create it. He made it from what was already there. So I think that's pretty interesting. So there's a difference between created and made. And there's so many more verses that I could give you on that one. But there is a huge difference between those two. And notice it when you go through the scriptures because it is something that's very, very important. All right, go back to Genesis 1. Genesis 1. We could seriously spend so much time on this, it's ridiculous. But we just don't have that kind of time. All right, another thing that I wanted to show you that I think is quite interesting that gives evidence of the gap is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. 
In the beginning, God created the, what is that word? Heaven, heaven and the earth. Most modern Bible translations do not say heaven there. Most say heavens. They put an S on the end. But if you actually go back and you're honest with the Hebrew there, it's singular. It's singular. It's not heavens. It's heaven. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I want you to notice this. Let's take a look at this. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 1. Someone read that one for me. One sound. Go ahead. What's the difference? Heavens. So once God was done with the whole process of the six-day creation, there existed these things called heavens. But prior, in verse 1, it was just the heaven, singular, and the earth. And if you actually work through this, and we've done this multiple times, if you work your way through from verse 2 all the way through the six days of creation, God does indeed create heavens. He creates heavens. He creates three of them. And that's also why, by the way, in Noah's Ark, there's three levels. And that's also why in Amos, in the book of Amos, the guy says God creates his stories in the heavens. He has a pattern of threes, and this is what he does. And he created three heavens. When everything was wiped out because you had the earth, it was without form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the entire universe was completely filled with water. And as the entire universe is filled with water, he takes a firmament and he puts it right there and he divides the waters from the waters and he begins to create what we know as heaven. And so you have the waters above, that's the sea of glass, and you have the third heaven. Then you have the expanse, which is the entire universe that we know as a space, that's the second heaven. And then you have our atmosphere, which is the first heaven. And this is the way that God created it. But before it wasn't that way. In verse one, it was not that way, it was singular, it was one heaven. That's the way it's supposed to be. But because of sin, everything completely changed. Everything completely, completely changed. All right, we've already talked about without form. We talked about void and how God always creates something that has a purpose. We talked a little bit about darkness. And I tell you, if you just study the word darkness in the scriptures, like take the word darkness. Go to Blue Letter Bible, blb.org, or download it as an app on your phone. And just take the word darkness and search it. Search that word and go all the way through I'm telling you, I think it's like 99% of the time, it's always negative and it always deals with, with sin and with judgment all, every single time, every single time. If you just study out the word darkness, you'll find out there's no way that God would ever make anything without form and void and full of darkness. He wouldn't do that. And darkness is upon the face of the deep. And that's something that we just don't have time to get into. Uh, but if you take the, the phrase the deep and you study that out, you'll be going on a fun rabbit trail. So if you want to go ahead and do that, that's fun. And then the last thing that I wanted to show you guys out of verse 1 and verse 2 is the last part of verse 2. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, what I love about this is it calls out specifically the Spirit of God. So imagine, like what we're talking about, you have all of God's creation is now completely destroyed. It is without form and void and full of darkness. And then God sends his spirit. And now his spirit is now moving across the face of the waters. Okay. Now, let's look at, look at a couple passages. Um, let's go to, let's see, 1 Peter 3, 18. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Turn this to 2 Peter. 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.
First Peter 3, 4, verse 18. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. What does quickened mean? To be made alive. To be made alive. By what? He was quickened by who? The The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. What you find in the Bible, and we'll look at a few more examples, that the Spirit of God is the agent of regeneration. In the scriptures, you'll find that the Spirit's role is that he regenerates. That's what he does. Take a look at uh, John chapter 3. You guys know this one. John chapter 3. And while we're turning to John chapter 3, give me a couple more readers. Titus 3, 5, and 6. Jack, you can go ahead and take um, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. All right, everyone else go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. All right, John chapter 3. So you got this guy, Nicodemus, and he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want anyone else that are among his crew to know that he's there. And he speaks to Jesus, and he says in verse 2, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right, hold on a second. Like, he didn't even ask him a question. This is what I love about this passage. Like, he didn't even ask him a question. He's like, We know that you came from God, because no one can do what you can do. Uh, Except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. (laughs) What? All right. See, he had a question inside of him. Jesus knew it, and he wanted to call him out on it. And it turned the whole conversation. And that's why verse 4 says, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time into his mother womb, mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that's the natural birth, and of the Spirit, there it is, the agent of regeneration, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And then he continues. So Jesus calls out specifically in verse 5 and verse 6 that in order for a person to see God, a sinner, to be with God for all eternity, they must be born again. They have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. This is why the gospel is so important for people to hear. Because unless a person is spiritually born again, regenerated by God's spirit, they cannot go to heaven. They can't. It's not possible. They cannot be with God. It's absolutely not possible. And so every opportunity that we have to share the gospel, we should. We need to. We ought to. And I know sometimes we shy away from those things, but it's very important. So right there is the spirit of regeneration right there. All right, listen to these next two verses. Titus 3, 5, and 6. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his, to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the renewing of the Holy Ghost, right there, same thing. So I'm not surprised that the Spirit of God moves across the face of the waters, and then God said, let there be light, because that's what the Spirit of God does. He renews things. This is what he does. All right, listen to the next one, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Uh, with that, the Holy Spirit of promise, 
Okay, there you go. You can stop right there. So right there, you have the same thing. You hear the gospel, you believe it, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So when the Holy Spirit seals you, that's part of the regeneration process to make you brand new. And that's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Genesis 1. Behold, all things are made new. All things. See it? This is the pattern in Scripture. And people that don't see it are just willingly blind. They're willingly blind. All right. So the Spirit of God is the agent of regeneration. Okay. So go back to Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you something else. And this gets into letter C on your guys' study sheet. Genesis 1, 28 and 9, 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Okay, another reason why the gap is biblical is because of verse 28. So God creates man, creates him, um, and makes him in his image, like we just talked about. And then it says in verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and this word, replenish, replenish, replenish. Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. What does the word replenish mean? Restore to the former. Yeah, to restore. That'd be good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, to plenish again. Re. I mean, this is common English. There's a lot of people that do not want to believe in the gap. And when they come to this verse, they say replenish means to fill. Name me one time refill means fill. You know what I mean? Like, let's just think about this logically for a second. Because if you study across the English language, when you go to a restaurant, they fill your cup with water or with soda or whatever you want to drink. Iced tea. I don't know. Whatever. Coffee. That's my favorite. She comes around. Would you like a refill? Yes, please. Right? You're like, no, please replenish my drink. You should do that. That'd be hilarious. Okay. <laughs> so every time this is used, it's always to refill again, to replenish. If God said plenish or fill, then he would have said that, but he didn't say that. He said replenish. So that tells you that there was something there prior. And this is consistent with the scripture because go over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, we got our man Noah. Not Worsler. He's sick. Couldn't be with us. <coughs> Flood Noah. I wonder what Noah's last name was. Flood. <laughs> Noah. Noah Flood. <laughs> All right. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, that's one of my questions I'll have to ask God one day when I see him. Didn't they not have last names? I don't know. Maybe they did. I think he did. But whatever. Okay. All right. So chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Okay, this is the same thing that God just told Adam and Eve to do, correct? Okay, so what happened with Noah? The whole world fell into sin. God was not happy 
And Noah was perfect in his generations. And by the way, as a side note, that's his DNA. And there's other issues we can get into that because the angels came down into the daughters of men and began to procreate. And they began to create abominations that were an offense to God. And God's like, I can't do this. My plan is now ruined because my plan is supposed to work through humanity. And I'm supposed to bring the seed of the Messiah. I need to wipe out the entire earth. And that's why the flood happened. So the flood happened because the entire world was now corrupt and completely godless. And Noah was found righteous in his generations. His seed was pure. And so God used him to then start over again. What? I thought we just talked about this. Lucifer had a kingdom. He was destroyed. Yes, same pattern. And here you have in verse 1 of chapter 9, he told Noah to replenish the earth. That means the earth was full at one point, and now he tells him to replenish it again. Common sense would tell you, Genesis 1, verse 2, there was a gap. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, good. So that's that one. Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, letter D. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, and um, let's go ahead and have someone go back to Genesis 1, verse 2 and 3. You can go, uh, Haley, you can do that one. Everyone else go to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. All right, this one's pretty sweet. Okay. Verse 3 of chapter 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Now here it is. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now look at this for a second. He takes the gospel that is a light that shines unto men to make them born again, is the context, and he takes it back to Genesis chapter 1, Verses 2 and 3. Haley, read it. Yep, 2 and 3. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there is light. There it is. You see it? Because he says exactly the same thing in verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You, as a lost person, are without form, and void and dark, right? Yes, we are. As a lost person bound for hell, you are without form and void in darkness. And God wants to say, let there be light. That's what he wants to say. That's exactly what this verse says in verse six. And so if God takes the gospel and he correlates that back to Genesis two and three, why in the world would God do that if there wasn't a sinful, chaotic, judged earth that was basically condemned and in ruins? And then God shows up and he says, let there be light. And then he begins to recreate everything brand new again. Because that's exactly what happens in your life and in my life when we receive the gospel. And we believe Christ and we accept him as our savior. That's exactly what happens. You are in ruins, utter disaster. And then God showed up and he wants to take you and he wants to make you brand new. Make sense? This is why I believe the gap. 
Because it makes perfect sense with what the Bible says. Absolute perfect sense with what the Bible says. All right, so there's that one. I love that one. All right, um, let's see. Letter E, go to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, let's see here. This is further evidence that the Spirit is the agent of regeneration, but I want to call it out just because it's, I think this one's a very, very, very powerful one. Verse 30, someone read that one. Verse 30. Go ahead, anybody. Go ahead. You got it, Josh. Thou sentest forth by the Spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. Huh, how about that? Thou renewest the face of the earth. Oh, Spirit of God. Okay. All right, nothing more needs to be said about that one. I like that one. Go to Job 38. Job 38, back it up a little bit to the left. Go to Job 38. All right, so Job 38. So this is where Job is getting rebuked by God. God shows up. Job keeps asking for an opportunity to speak to God, to defend himself, and God shows up. And it says this in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars, that's another term for angels, by the way, sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see what he's describing here? He's describing Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he shows up with Job. He's like, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set up that cornerstone? Where were you? And of course, the answer is nowhere. So Job knows nothing, and God's trying to reprove him. And so he lays out this process that he laid the foundation of the earth. He, he measured it out. He had the foundation thereof fastened, so it's secure, and he laid the cornerstone of the earth. And that's when the morning stars and the sons of God, they all sang and they shouted for joy. And there's no doubt in my mind that Lucifer is right here, and he is leading that singing and that worship. Picture it. Got it? As we compare scripture to scripture, this is what we find out. This is how we piece things together in the Bible. And then he continues. Or who shut up the seas with doors and a break forth as if it had issued out, out of the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness, the swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall, shall thy proud waves be stayed. Now, what he's talking about there in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11 is actually later during the six days of creation where there, the, everything was just entirely water. And now he has set it and he set it decreed place and you're not going to go any farther. You're not going to go any farther. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 and on when he creates the firmament and he divides the waters from the waters. Verse 12. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth that the wicked might be shaken out of it? He's talking about the day and the sunrise. So all these things, this is the account of creation just right here. And so you can see right there how God has painted that picture there. So that's another evidence why the gap is biblical. That's why the gap is biblical. All right, let's look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to get this done. We're going to get it done. You guys ready? 
even though I know I'm giving you guys a lot of information. These are things you're just gonna have to go back and chew on, for sure. And as you work through it and you want more, I've got more for you. All right. Second Peter chapter three. Okay. Verse one. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the whole, by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, now here it is, pay attention, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, I mean, you guys hear this day in and day out, especially when you hit your classes in evolution. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning beginning of creation. So we hear this all the time. And God calls them scoffers. Yeah, right. You say God is real and that he's true and whatever. Yeah, where is his coming? Yeah, whatever. No, no, no. Everything's just continued as it was since the beginning. In other words, evolution. So evolution is actually in the Bible. And God calls people that believe in evolution scoffers. So here in verse 5. For this, they are willingly, they willingly are ignorant of. See, people, they can look at creation and they know God exists. I mean, they know he exists. You look at a human, the way the human body is designed. You look at all, you look at everything. There is order everywhere, everywhere. For a person to believe that chaos produces order, they are mentally ill. They are insane. There is no, there's no way. I don't care what, what, what you say or how you say that. There's no possible way that chaos can produce order. It just does not happen. It does not happen. Chaos, chaos produces what? Chaos. chaos. Every time. Every single time. And so that's why God says that they are scoffers and they are willingly ignorant. They don't want to believe in God. Because if they believe in God, then they're in serious trouble. And so they just explain it away, like, ah, you know what, nope, 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 until one day they can't avoid it at all, when God removes all of creation and they will stand before him at the great white throne judgment. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, that's the first judgment, by the way, under Lucifer, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So this is why God lays this out right here. In verse 5 and verse 6, he's talking about the world that then was. And I firmly believe that this is not Noah. Like this flood that's here is not Noah because it says in verse 6 and in verse 7, it says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now. See, Noah's flood, was it a universal flood, like across space? No, it was not. It was just maintained to the planet. It was universal on the planet, but not across the universe. What he says here is he says, the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, which are now, that's after Genesis 1 verse 2. And what's interesting is when I studied this out, I did a paper when I went to Moody Bible Institute, which of course Moody Bible Institute does not believe in the gap whatsoever. And so I was taking science from them. And one of the lists of topics that I could write a 10-page paper on was the gap. And of course, they call it the gap theory. And so I'm like, okay, 
let's go for it. I want to do it. So I wrote it, and I knew I had to work like triple overtime about this just to just make sure everything was lining up perfectly. And I gathered all my scientific evidence and everything. But here's something interesting that I found. When stars explode, like the whole supernova event, do you know what the one overwhelmingly thing that comes out of stars that explode that scientists have found? I mean, there's gases and stuff, but overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly there's something that goes above the amounts of gas and radiation and everything. Guess what it is? Aqua. Water. 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 So I don't know if stars existed back then because God didn't write that. I mean, he just wrote Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's all he wrote. But I do know that according to scientists, that when a star explodes, one of the largest amounts of mass that comes out of it is water. And so imagine you had this entire universe that Lucifer ruled and reigned from Earth. And maybe there were these bodies of stars that were out there and other planets and other things that were out there too because we know that God's going to increase and multiply in the future and we're going to go out throughout the entire universe because people are going to be able to procreate and the Earth is not, you know, it's only so big and so you're going to have to go and relocate somewhere else too. So there's going to come a point where people are going to have to procreate on other planets. And so it's completely possible. And so you start thinking about that and if God set things up that way, before, when Lucifer was ruling and reigning, because God would do the same thing, he's going to restore everything back again the way that it was, then it's quite possible that there were other planets and there were other bodies and other galaxies and other things like that. Quite possible. And so when everything fell into sin and God's like, that's it, I'm done, boom. And all the stars go, boom, you have water across the entire universe. And that's what we find in verse 2, where the Spirit of God then moved across the face of the waters, and he began to divide the waters from the waters, and then recreate everything again. That's my take on it. That's what I found. I can't prove it to you biblically because God didn't write about it, but it's just quite interesting. That's the only way in my mind that I can scientifically even prove that there was this universal flood across the entire known universe at that time. All right. All right, and then lastly, lastly, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and then we'll get out of here. Hebrews chapter 1. Just a smidge to your left from Second Peter. Hebrews chapter 1. Whew. Yeah, I think they have the heat on. It's hot. Okay, verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Worlds. Interesting. Worlds. That means there's more than one world. Huh. How about that? And we talked a little bit about that in Second Peter chapter 3 as well. Go over to um, chapter 11 of Hebrews. So Jesus made the worlds. And then in Hebrews 11, verse 3, <coughs> through faith we understand that the worlds, there it is again, were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So God has created these things that are called worlds. And how we define that within the context of the gap and things like that is uh, how the entire known universe operates. You know, you have one world that existed with Lucifer. You had one world that existed after he created everything again from verse 2 on in Genesis chapter 1. And then you're going to have the world to come. 
And that world to come is when he recreates everything brand new because the earth is going to be destroyed by fire, according to Second Peter chapter 3. All right, so that's that. So those are some of the examples. There's a whole lot more I could say on every single one of those, but I at least wanted to give you guys just a little tidbit of why the gap is biblical. All right, so let's just talk a little bit about the objections to the gap, and these are some of the things that um, maybe that you have believed. Um, I know that I have believed at one point in time in my life until I've searched the scriptures and tried to see what God has to say about it and what you'll probably hear from other people. Okay, first thing is objections to the gap. Letter A, young earth. What does that mean? People that believe in a young earth. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So human history, when you map it out according to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 and how God creates everything again, and you map it out all the way until when the second coming of Christ, uh, the thousand-year reign, and when God has the great white throne judgment and then continues on to eternity future, there is 7,000 years of human history. 7,000 years of human history all together. And that has been measured and proven, um, and you can go and check that stuff out. So people that believe in the young earth believe that the earth also is the same age, that the earth is only about 6,000 years old because they believe the scriptures. And I will give them credit for that because they're willing to put their reputation on the line and believe the scriptures. But here's the reality of it. The more and more that we find out through science, the more that we find this earth is actually a lot older. It's a lot older. Have you ever been in class and you're hearing about the theory of evolution and you're hearing about some of the things that they bring to the table with scientific discoveries and you're like, hmm, and you feel just weird because you're like, I believe in a six-day creation, but then they're presenting this stuff and I'm having a hard time arguing against it. There's a reason why you're having a hard time arguing against it because some of it is probably true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because God does not indicate a gap of time where he's like, all right, this gap's going to be approximately, I don't know, like uh, 50 years. No, he didn't say that. It could be a million. It could be two billion years. We don't know how long this gap is. Only God knows. So, I mean, I know there's flaws in carbon dating. I know there is. I've seen it and I've, I've studied it and I've read some of that stuff out. But there's certain things that I just can't deny. And so you know what I'm left with? I don't think all of it is wrong. I believe some of the things you guys learn in science class with evolution is totally legit. And I believe this earth is just flat out old. I do. Because I don't know how long Lucifer reigned. I don't know how long it was before he fell into sin. So is it possible? Yeah, it's quite possible. So I do not believe in a young earth. I just don't. And I think the Bible supports that. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, people like Ken Ham and others at the Creation Museum, um, they would dog me big time. And they've dogged even Pastor Tom when he's tried to talk with Ken Ham over the phone. And uh, and it gets to this next point. Um, People believe that the gap is justification for theistic evolution. So the theory of theistic evolution is that God created stuff and he just let it go. And then it evolved. So that blob of goo that you came from, Um, God created that blob of goo and then he created the process through which evolution would occur. There's a lot of people that believe that. The Roman Catholic Church believes that today. And there are many, many people that believe that today among Christian circles. So, and generally as a rule, if the Roman Catholic Church believes it, I don't. So, um, (laughs) just to let you know, it's pretty safe. Um, uh, And there's other reasons for that. So, anyway, but that is absolutely not true. Because I believe in the gap, I do not believe in theistic evolution. Absolutely not. I believe in a pre-Adamite world that existed that was ruled by Lucifer. I just do. And I don't know how long that he ruled, and I don't know how long that God waited before he said, all right, Spirit of God, go and move. And then he says, let there be light. I don't know when that happened. I don't. Only God knows. 
We just know that it did happen. Uh, letter C, people have a hard time with the gap because they believe that Romans 5, 12, anyone know that one? Have it memorized? Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so all men, and for that all have sinned. Okay, so based on that verse, they say, well, because of Adam, like sin came through Adam. It says it came into the world. Okay, the world. The world, one of the worlds. Yes, one of the worlds in which God had made. Hebrews, remember, chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 11, same thing. So Lucifer is the originator of sin. We know that because of what Jesus said in the Gospels, in John chapter 8. So we know that's true, but Romans 5 tells us that sin came through Adam. Yes, in that world, sin came through Adam. If Adam would not have chosen to sin, sin would not have entered into this newly recreated world that God had made. Simple explanation. All right, and then they say in, in letter D that, well, Adam was the first man. There couldn't have existed anything prior to that. All right, hold on a second. That's not even an argument because what existed before, they weren't man. It wasn't man. It wasn't anything close. The first time God created something in his own image, it was Adam. It was Adam. It wasn't anything prior. And there's so many other ones, but those are the big ones. All right? Okay. All right, we are done. So that is a very short nugget cliff notes version of the gap for sure and there's so much more that you can get into if you're really interested all right so if you have any questions you can ask me later all right all right let's pray god thank you so much for our time together and for your word it is simply amazing and i pray that we would always stand in awe of your word and let it be the thing that drives our life we pray these things in jesus name amen